Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast, part of the Armchair Media Network. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined um, by my fellow sickos, Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippey. Fellas, been a while since we recorded. Um, it's December 7th, and the season hasn't been actually canceled yet. It's kind of a minor miracle, right? All right, define canceled. Okay. <laughs> It has been canceled in my mind, brother. Um, every Saturday morning, as uh, opposed to waking up and um, drinking to control my anxieties, I wake up and say, is Georgia playing today? Because I truly do not know. It, it has been nice just not paying attention to the rest of college football. I'm, I'm normally a fan of everything, but I'm just purely cultish with Alabama this year. And it's been nice. I don't, I don't care about USC against Oregon. It doesn't matter to me anymore. It's never mattered, but especially not now. I'm just taking the attitude from like a viewership and consumer standpoint of just like, like, well, first of all, Ole Miss is not going to play back-to-back games from, because that A&M game, I don't know if y'all saw right before this recording got postponed again because Ole Miss has COVID issues this time. And now I don't, I don't, unless something else happens, that game's not getting played. Like Ole Miss is not playing 10. So I don't think that game's happening. Maybe they end up canceling the LSU game and letting Ole Miss play AM because AM needs it worse. I don't know how they're going to do that. But I say all that to say I'm just taking it from the standpoint of if it's on TV when I turn it on TV, I'll enjoy it. But I am done getting worked up over cancellations and moving around or trying to keep up with it. I guess it comes down to whether or not the SEC wants AM in the playoff more or if they want the or if they want the revenue from LSU will miss more. Because I feel like that's a secretly heavily watched game from year to year. Hey, you want to actually talk about COVID aside, like football for a second. If, if that's the case and AM gets nine games and they don't get the SEC, obviously they're not playing in the SEC title game. If Alabama thumps Florida, what is Florida's case over AM? There, there is none. They have. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I don't think there is one. No. I mean, they have more losses and lost head to head. That's. That you know, it should be that simple. But then again, who's the committee chair this year? That some dude from Iowa. I, I when I tell you that, like, I, I paid, I've paid attention to college football this year, like I've paid attention to like the MLB post two thousand and sixteen. I, 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 I truly like. I saw that Amon Ross St. Brown had four catches and four touchdowns in the first quarter last night. And I saw that because apparently USC is just playing Washington state on a Sunday night, because that apparently is the thing that is happening in the West coast right now. I mean, so I actually, the, I I have been checked out for, for multiple reasons. One, just due to blinding apathy after the Florida game and um, me championing the fake season moniker. But second is because um, I would like to detail to both uh, y'all and the listeners um, what my last uh, week's experience was. So I am, or I guess now done with the process, as you can see the blank wall behind me of a move from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. Um, And I was supposed to move at the beginning of the month, like most leases operate. 
And I woke up on Monday morning, supposed to move in Tuesday. Um, and I got, well, I, I didn't get a call. I called my leasing agent just to make sure that everything was all right. Um, and to get all of the final paperwork and everything signed and yada, yada. And she said, well, there seems to be a slight problem. Um, the owner of your condo has not paid his condo association fees in, I want to say one to two decades. It sounded like from the bill that he had outstanding. Um, and so the, he, he was being sued by his condo association and they would not let any new tenants move in. And so I was told with all of my stuff in a U-Haul on Monday uh, that I had nowhere to go on Tuesday. And so I spent uh, the afternoon uh, searching. I found an apartment that was not on Zillow. It was not on apartments.com. It was not on Realtor. It was only on Craigslist. Um, and that is where you see me in this lovely pale blue uh, jail cell right now. Yeah, that that actually looks like um, you're. I mean, it it like, tap twice if you're in danger right now in someone's basement. Yeah, this. <laughs> are you? St- I, I'm. Uh, I, I've actually. I've actually been. Um, I've been captured by uh, Greg McGarity in the University of Georgia for Kirby Smart descent over the airwaves. Wait, so have all three of the people on this podcast moved within the last no three months? Since the start of the podcast, yes. Yeah, I was about to say August ish. Jeez, good for us, man. We're, we're doing things. You know, it's a fake season, but we're still getting shit done. You know, I was about to say, uh, just all people. We've all uh, managed to move further south, I believe. Right? Is well, actually, Rippy is KP went from New York to Austin. I went somehow south of Baton Rouge, and is what is Jackson or Oxford in relation to to Dallas? Oxford, I guess yeah, yeah. Dallas technically south south because it's like a straight shot over to Jackson and then Oxford's north. So okay, uh, yep. technically south, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, because Oxford's above I twenty, right? Right. Okay. I mean, you're talking almost Memphis range. Yeah. You know what's actually a, a super bummer about this college football season in relation to uh, how our podcast operates? We just seem like three guys who love some interstate talk. And I feel like with no real road trips this year, we've really been we've really been um, thwarted on some like you take twenty you take you go ten to sixty five to eighty five you hit three sixteen and you're in Athens and I I just I, I need some more interstate talk in my life. Look, I I feel like we all decided that we whether or not we had kids, we were just going to be dads from age twenty three on, like to a person here, <laughs> and we're just leaning into it even more without actual football to talk about. Binge drinking uh, Michelob light and uh, and only caring about the the wants and whims of seventeen year olds in college towns. I would say that we we have calcified as as forty year old men pretty early. The road trips, though, whatever you think about those, like I have a brother that's now a sophomore up at Ole Miss, and like the poor kid had his first college spring nixed because of this. And is now not getting a normal college football season. You know, as like freshman, you still don't really know what the hell you're doing yet. So like, you're not planning road trips that often. I mean, I went to a couple games on the road freshman year. Not saying that, but like, you kind of got your crew by sophomore year, and they're not getting to do any of that. That just really sucks. I feel bad for the kid. Yeah, and and I mean, based on the uh, less than anemic response that we have had to it, it is now going. I mean, like, there are going to be college kids where like three of your eight semesters, you just didn't kind of really go to college. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. If you're, and if you're Andrew, three of your, I don't know, 10 and a half semesters. Dude, Ole Miss, so you know Ole Miss has, uh, y'all may or may not know, you know, Ole Miss as is had a absurdly long Christmas break. So they mm-hmm. have normal's final week. And Can they- you explain that to me, please? Because wasn't it like December 1st to after MLK Day? Yeah, so I've heard, yeah, that's exactly what oh, it is. What? So whatever that <laughs> You do. Five. It's literally twice as long as other schools. Yes, li- li- quite literally. So, like, you do the first week of December finals, whatever. That week after Thanksgiving's class, then finals, and then you don't go back till after MLK Day. Well, now they're doing what all those other schools are doing, to where just at Thanksgiving they're like, "You're not coming back." So they they got out of school before Thanksgiving and will not be back, uh, whether it's online, in person, whatever, until after MLK Day. I was thinking about this the other day, though, just as and I'm sure that y'all are y'all are the same. Rippy, I don't know what your brother's doing right now, but I can tell you that like 
what I would have done, like scratch and clawed and scream to my parents to like, just be like, no, I'm going to take online class in Athens. Like if you keep me in Baton Rouge having to do online University of Georgia classes, we are going to be at each other's throats. That's just so. He got fortunate that by the time they'd already signed leases so you're on the hook for rent anyway and you know those landlords in those college towns are not gonna be like oh never mind here's your money back because yeah no i mean that's why the colleges are there i mean dude i I do think it is hilarious how you know we were talking about cancellations and everything over the summer you know they made this decision what in april right they canceled the olympics i don't think a lot of people realize this the actual summer olympics got pushed back a year when cases were what they were like earlier in the year, it's worse than it's ever been now. And people are just like, we fucking have to find a way to get Ole Miss a 10th football game. <laughs> we, Ole Miss has to play 10, y'all. The Rebs got to get on Vanderbilt that field. To play Georgia, December 19th. Why? I mean – I mean, I, if you're a Vanderbilt, I truly, if you're a Vanderbilt, I, I think I, why? Like, what's the point? Like, there's no way Vanderbilt pushed for that at all, right? Kirby just wanted the practices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've detailed, I think, uh, this group text on this this chat before, but I I live. One of my good friends from college um, was or is from Savannah and, and lives there now. Um, and I am in a about a 25-person group text message, not like group me or anything, text message group, and it's called the Dog Pound. It actually just has, the as I say that, two UGA wide receivers seeking transfer, Mar- Marius Tongue and Trey Blunt. Um, but it is about 20 to 25 septuagenarians out of uh, middle to southern Georgia. And when I tell you I put in there like, guys, can we just cancel this season? Like, does anyone care about the last two games against Vanderbilt and Missouri? It's as if I would have gone and spit the novel coronavirus into the mouths of every single one of their grandmothers individually. <laughs> I, I mean, the the offense that these people th- took to not being able to take three hours on a Saturday and escape from their wives or whatever else they have going on terrifies me. Uh, the dogs are on, thank God. No more nagging wife. <laughs> <laughs> Them dogs, hell, ain't they? Man, I talk about those, uh, you talk about the transfers too. I think that's a storyline because you, for whatever reason, they're still doing the normal recruiting cycle and all that that hasn't gotten much coverage yet. Like you think it had become the Wild West in terms of transfers. Wait till this roster attrition with waivers becoming what they become and this year not counting. I mean, I've talked to a couple people around Ole Miss or whatever, and like they're a program in a good place and they're going to have more than I think they expected. It's going to be nuts. So what is what is the angle here? I mean, obviously the eighty-five scholarships, like the the I'm not sure how many people are aware about the way college scholarships work, but there's usually um it's just a number that you're allocated. So one scholarship is worth X amount of dollars. And like football has 85 usually full scholarships, at least all at all of the other big schools. And so when you do Title IX stuff, it's essentially how many full scholarships. So for, for ease of sake, call a scholarship $100,000. I know it's not. But that means that the football team would have 85 times $100,000 at their disposal. Um, with some other sports, you'll have – like like baseball at a lot of schools, you'll have twelve full scholarships or something oh, with twenty five. Eleven point seven, Andrew. Yeah, or eleven point nine or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you have eleven point nine scholarships, and so it's essentially you just get that pool of money, and you can say we can we'll have all twenty five guys on a partial scholarship. We're gonna have five guys on full scholarship and do it yada yada yada. But meaning like what Rippy just said, there are now going to be. You already have these guys with the gray shirts and the red shirts and whatever they try and do. Usually about 95 to 100 guys trying to compete for those 85 scholarships because you have walk-ons and whatnot. If you have any of these programs that are operating like normal and just adding these scholarships on, you're going to be operating with programs in like the 130 kids on the team with 85 scholarships. Like You could kind of operate it prior when you had – 
some kid like like we'll all right we'll do a gray shirt and then you can prove it or we know that this kid can get in on an academic scholarship or there's family money and so we're going to talk to him about it and, and work something out in the future you can't do that with an entire recruiting class no and so i don't know i mean you're gonna i know that that you're gonna end up with these guys and edging these guys out but like what happens when those guys go in? I guess what, what I'm wondering is where is the trickle down? Because the Trey Blunts of the world, they're still going to want to go play major college football. And let's say he wants to go to a middle of the road fucking Big Ten or Big 12 team. What happens when that school still has 20 too many scholarships? So I'm, I'm going to put on my son of a compliance coordinator hat on. Um, uh, so football is what's known as a headcount sport in that every single like you have a certain number that you can reach in football to 85, but it's a headcount sport. So you have 85 full scholarships, like, you know, full stop. It's like football, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's tennis, and like volleyball. I'm probably missing a couple too. Um, I think the, the NCAA is probably honoring just having, just letting teams just run over for one year because it's going to trickle down. But also, we're fans of major SEC football programs. I, I mean, we've seen guys get processed out every single time. That's what's going to happen. Like five stars. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, but it's just going to be even more brutal than usual this year. You're going to have a guy that's a, a fourth-year junior, so a redshirt junior, that's just probably not going to get on the field. There's no way that dude is going to be on Alabama or Georgia's roster next year. They'd rather have the five-star freshman than the failed four-star redshirt junior. And where I really think it fucks things up is is the grad transfer spot because like usually the grad transfers the way that a lot of them operate are like all right I've gotten my academics together let me go see where I'm going to be able to fit well if everywhere that is you're you're going to want to go and maybe put out tape is going to have like five, at least five guys that are just like hanging around the program looking for like, all right, am I going to be one of those scholarship spots? Am I going to be able to be like grandfathered in or however the fuck that they figure this thing out? And so like, you'll obviously have your high end, like your, your, your plug and play quarterbacks and guys that you really need. But like, I really don't think that there's going to be the opportunity. Like I imagine that a lot of kids or go and feel out informally where they might be able to play if they're thinking about doing this grad transfer stuff. I have no idea what a frustrated kid right now who is going to be graduating is is looking at his options for next year because they have to be limited. I just don't see uh, I just don't see a universe where a guy and obviously Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are extreme examples, but even a guy like Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri or, uh, you know, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. I don't see a scenario where they just, you know, say, yep, I'm going to coach 103 players next year. There's absolutely no way. (laughs) Well, from their perspective, I think they would be fine with coaching it if the NCAA would lax on the scholarships. They're going to have to do something because not only like the the – I can't. I'm. I'm not smart enough to make sure to know if this makes it more difficult or 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 harder. But you know, in hoops, they can cut dudes pretty much any time they want. Like most of these, if I'm not mistaken, are pretty much guaranteed for their entirety. I think they're guaranteed for the year. They are every every athletic scholarship period is just for the school year. It's just some coaches guarantee four years unless you know behavior issues or whatever. Or academic issues, but pretty much every scholarship is one year from year. So now here's a and question. A, oh, sorry. And in a one and done sport like basketball, Calipari can just like say, if a guy wants to come back, Calipari's like, I'm not renewing your scholarship. And it's like, okay, John Calipari. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> That's your call. But yeah, the guys guarantee four years, which is good in football, but there's, yeah, this is, it's going to be bad this off season. Yeah, I, I just don't I don't foresee how um, I I don't uh, w- without expanding the scholarship base, but expanding the scholarship base. I mean, all of these schools are hurting. That's why they're forcing kids back onto campus right now, so they can collect their tuition money and and, and lie to them and say that it's mildly safe. Um, and so it's not like you're just going to be able to act, like at, at the end of the day, scholarships are money. And so like I know that they can it's a little bit easier from the school because they place this monetary value on what it actually is. But like 
for a place like the University of Alabama, if they actually had to add 10 students across a freshman class or a sophomore class, like you could very easily find the space to do that. But like, I'm wondering, I, I mean, this is probably where you're going to get the, uh, the, the college football influences all of these towns and universities, because I would imagine that you are going to have whoever lobbying on behalf of the football program, like, no, you just need to make sure that like these 20 kids are enrolled in classes and like they are technically under scholarship. If anything, this is just incentive to oversign, right? Like Bama and other places have been doing it for years, but you can actually do it with no real consequences, at least not immediately, right? Like, I don't know. Didn't someone bring it? It wasn't bad, but didn't someone bring in like 30 kids a few years ago and they just kind of let it happen? I mean, you can, you can bring in 30 kids in a class if you want to. Like in 2013 or something, Rick only brought in like 16 kids. And so like one of like one of Kirby's first years, I think, I think Kirby's first two years, he brought in like 28 and then 29 or something like that. I think that's what I'm thinking of, actually. He was like, nope, I I am oversigned. I learned from the master of it. (laughs) I'm bringing in as many kids as possible. Yeah. And then and then you just figure it out on the back end. I mean, for for a lot of those programs, I mean, it it really won't. I, I don't imagine that. Like the, the top of the top is never where any of these issues are. And it's the programs that never have the issues. It's the kids who the issues come up with. Because ultimately, this is an advantage for the programs. You're getting a hundred, you're getting 130 kids that you are allowed to sign, and then only 85 of them can be under scholarship. And so you then get a larger pool to decide who is good. But them, then they're sitting there and whenever you decide to make these scholarship cuts or whatever they end up deciding to do, and you have kids saying, I don't have anywhere to play and I don't have a scholarship and I I was signed here. So, Rip, you spent a lot of time in Mississippi, obviously. Um, The king of Mississippi, as some might say. Do we expect like the JUCO market to explode in 2021 and 2022? It kind of has to, right? Yeah, to some degree. And not only like they explode that way, but you would think like kids that are kind of like not really sure what their options are, like you're probably going to see a lot of dropping down as well, if I'm not mistaken. Like, you know, I like with the, everything being in a numbers crunch, some of these dudes are going to need spots. And in some ways, I think it'll benefit some of the JUCO rosters next year. But yeah, I would think there would be some truth in that as well, is that that'll definitely. Because, you know, the the JUCO option is like the short-term fix or whatever, and that's kind of not short-term fix. But in this area, it's it's kind of like preferable because you're not having to try to figure a lot of this stuff out and you can get JUCO kids in and out of there a little bit quicker. Yeah, we're uh, a real, real bad year for them to to shift Last Chance U from football to basketball. Oh, buddy. Last Chance U from a COVID season would be oh, – I'm going to miss it. I know the the buddy Steve at some I would imagine if I look at a family tree somewhere it's going to show that me and Buddy Stevens are somehow related and I'm I'm not prepared to learn that. Man, F- folks, uh, th- this happens every I guess at this rate every four years or so, uh, but it's about that time um, because rumors. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Had it. That Urban Meyer's wife was looking for real estate in Austin, Texas. <laughs> it's like Chris. Well, that was actually, folks, it was actually KP in whiteface and a wig. It's, <laughs> it's college football Christmas all over again, folks. Texas is, look, and I don't really care. He's a millionaire. He has a million, million, million dollar buyout. Texas is just kind of screwing over Tom Herman here, right? Because there's no way they can keep him after all of this. Um, I think I think that they've made it clear that they don't give a shit about Tom Herman. I think that they've made it clear. I, I mean, like, I know it sounds bad, but, like, they – the moment that they piece together that like this guy isn't that, and I think this is what Texas does. They did it with Charlie strong too. And they kind I mean, I, I, I get the end of the Mac era ended like it did. Um, and he was kind of fizzling out, but th- this is what they do. They, they give a guy a chance. They realize after 20 games that he is not going to be the guy that is going to lead them to eight straight big 12 titles because they've won fucking eight big 12 titles in the last like 70 years <laughs> um, or whatever conference that they've been a part of. And then they they throw him to the curb and you start getting rumors of Nick Saban's coming to town and Jimbo's coming to town and so-and-so's coming to town. The only thing I will say is if you were going to get Urban Meyer and there isn't at least nine figures on the contract, you need to never speak in public again about being mildly relevant in college. It's like, why? oh, sorry, go on, Rep. No, 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 go ahead, KP. I was just going to... Go ahead. I'll add it after. I was just saying, if I'm Urban Meyer, man, I'm, he's making how much? Probably at least two million a year from Fox, right? To be on TV twice a week, and and probably not even do any research because the guy's got you know a lock trap brain and he just watches everything. Um, why? Why would Urban Meyer, known healthy heart haver? Um, Take the university of family contract signer. Take the football job at the University of Texas. What the fuck would? Excuse me, but why would he do that? There's no universe where that makes sense for him. Agree, and to add on to that, you know, whatever you think of Urban Meyer, I would not classify myself a fan of the guy by any means. But he's actually pretty good on television. Like you know, there's some guys that are just like, okay, this guy has it because of what he did in his playing career or coaching career. He sucks at it. I think Urban Meyer's got actually some football talent or TV talent, I should say. He's an enjoyable watch. But to your point, like, why would you do that? Because like the Ohio State gig, like if that came open and there was an Urban Meyer like guy that Ohio State was pursuing or whatever like that's a different story to where texas is now it's become increasingly clear that there's it's a texas problem right like they're incompetently run as an athletic department because there's no reason they should suck at the level at which they do and guys that had had a lot of success elsewhere now charlie strong you know tom herman i mean tom herman was really good at houston have now failed in that job and then they decided whatever mac brown was doing at the end was not good enough. So it seems abundantly clear it's now a Texas issue, does it not? Well, I'll say this, and I think this addresses both points on, one, why Urban is good at television, and and two, why would Urban Meyer come back? Um, And it's that whole, I mean, if you've seen uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, there's the scene where Jordan Belfort is talking, and he's looking out at his kids playing on his large mansion, saying, all right, you could pay a fine that you would never register on your net worth, and you will never see a jail cell, but... These people are psychopaths like they their brain that what is allowed to get them to this point is not is not a part of their brain that is allowed to shut off and say, I can no longer operate and I can no longer do that. I mean, like when you are wired at this type of level, like like. When you excel this much in a field, I know it like th- this is someone who has not excelled in any field, but you have to have something a little bit wrong with you. Like you had like, like to be able to have this much of a single track mind to like, I have more money than I will ever need. I seemingly for the first time in my life have my family life under control, but 
I am going to throw all of that into disarray so I can get chewed up and spit out by the University of Texas boosters. I, I mean, this is just what these people who are wired like this do. Yeah. I, and oops, I go on what do you do if you're having it? Like, like this has been out in the open flirting while he's trying to one put together a recruiting class, you know, manage this disastrous pandemic season. Like what's his message to kids in 2021 and 2022? Like come play here. It's going to be awesome. Look how they support me. I do think it's, and you mentioned that Ur- this isn't the kind of job urban takes because Florida had done some good things. I mean, they were only two, three years removed from Spurrier when urban Meyer took the job. Um, Ohio State had won like two or three straight Big Ten titles, and they had the one weird interim year because Jim Trestle covered up his players getting free tattoos. <laughs> so, they, okay. so they fired him. Uh, but so, yeah, those like you said, those were that wasn't an Ohio State problem. That wasn't a Florida problem. Those are just specific circumstances. There's been institutional rot at Texas basically since integration. Texas was the last. <laughs> all-white team to win a national championship like that. <laughs> and they lucked into, and yeah. they lucked into one of the 10 best college football players of all time. And they got another, the moment they, they got another one. By the him. moment they started sponsoring bowl games, it was over for them. Yeah. They just, and at the time it was just kind of accepted them moving on from Mac Brown is like, oh, okay, you know, he's probably over the hill, but looking at what Mac Brown is doing at North Carolina, like, he got to two national titles. Like it seems increasingly silly and not to mention what, like five years prior to that, or maybe it was later. I can't remember at this point, they move on from Rick Barnes in favor of Shaka smart. And now look what Rick Barnes is doing at Tennessee. Like the decision-making there seems incredibly bad. I think this is also all on top of the entire failure of the Longhorn network. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, like if if we're talking about like if you were a head coach, you need to ultimately. I mean, like in the NBA, they kind of say if you were a GM or executive vice president of basketball, your real only job is to keep your owner in check or be able to speak with your owner and also operate an NBA team, and that's kind of how it feels like. The University of Texas operates is you're not just going to coach a football team. You are going to like manage this entire. Uh, it sounds like they have seven Tillman Fertitas behind the scenes yeah. there. Yeah, it, it's weird because Charlie Strong, like you said, was very successful pre Texas. Tom Herman, very successful pre Texas. These are good football coaches, but it's like they, like Mac Brown was a decent football coach, but he was, I mean, he was perfect for the Texas job. Because he knew enough about football to like make game plans, but he could sweet talk any mom, you know, in the state of Texas, and he could sweet talk any booster with a net worth over one point three million. That's all you need to do as a Texas coach. But no other job requires you to be that good at talking to boosters, which is insane. Now, here's the question, though: Is it, of all of the people that could do that, though, wouldn't it be Urban? Oh, Urban would take no shit from boosters. I think Urban's got uh, the worst possible personality for that. <laughs> I think See, he, I feel like he plays ball, but it's him not wanting the job. Like, you know, Texas has gone from like everyone. Remember, it was like, of course, like for there was a thought of thinking for a while. It's like, yeah, Saban might leave for Texas, and like now that just seems incredibly silly. So you've also fallen victim to the Jimmy Sexton PR machine. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But like I even if that like true, not true, like it was a much desirable job, more desirable job even just three years ago than it is now. Now it's kind of like I don't want to hop on that train. Well, I think you're now being able you're finally able to see the evidence that is that is mounting against it in that like, oh, there's one common denominator between all of these things, and it doesn't seem to be the in the incompetence of the head coach does not seem to be that common denominator. It seems to be much more ancillary factor. I, I think it was Spencer Hall that wrote a while back when Steve Patterson, the former Portland Trailblazers exec, was the Texas AD. And Steve Patterson like made budget cuts around like just to save money or whatever, which you know in a vacuum is a good call. You're you know maximizing your school's bottom line, but you you don't and shouldn't do that at Texas. Texas just needs to start acting as rich as they actually are. Pay for the best facility. 
there's no reason Texas shouldn't have the best football facilities in the country. There's no reason Texas shouldn't be able to drop the biggest bags to recruits all over the state and in nearby areas. But they don't. And they still out-recruit Oklahoma and just get their whips just get whipped every year because they can't develop shit. And there's a lot of problems. There's structural rot at Texas, and it's hilarious to me. <laughs> but it shouldn't be this way. It's, it very easily doesn't have to be this way. Exactly. It's a combination of what you and Andrew both just said, right? Because, like, it's, it's <coughs> excuse me, too many hands grabbing at the cookie jar in terms of, like, the booster network and who you have to please and who thinks they have power. I mean, someone wrote a story a while back when Texas's last athletic director got fired, and it's been so long ago, I can't remember for the life of me who it was, and I'm probably going to butcher the essence of it, but it's like they need to change the way, like, the whole power structure because the AD there, you talk about talking to boosters and managing all of that. Like that's really the AD's job there instead of leaving. I'm not saying it's not the football coaches too, but instead where the athletic director, you know, his job to make decision and leads, he's having to deal with all that. Cause this is not Nebraska where it's like, okay, this is never happening again. Like you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, you play in the big 10, like what discernible advantage Texas has money. Texas has fertile recruiting around. They have everything you could possibly want. It's blatantly obvious that it's a behind the scenes thing, whether it's the athletic department or the people that pull the strings of the athletic department. I mean, TCU's beaten Texas, what, eight out of 10 years. That's actually unfathomable. There's no, like, all respect to Gary Patterson and, you know, the city of Fort Worth, but I, there's, the, wh- why have they beaten Texas eight out of 10 years? Like firing everybody involved with that. I guess they've tried, but do it again. <laughs> that is oh, a- uh, KP, speaking of absurd sports stats, did you see uh, what was calcified yesterday? Um, Julio Jones went the entire Trump administration without scoring a touchdown against Buddy, the Saints. Buddy, you actually hate to see that, man. You you really do hate to see that. Now, I guess pivoting towards the NFL for one second, um, have y'all felt as if that product has just been – like actually preserved is somewhat legitimate because I don't know if it's the fantasy aspect or just the like staunch uh, the the staunch denial of doing anything other than according to the plan that they said, even as dumb as it was, it, it, it seems to have resulted in like, yeah, there's two Monday night games and there's a Tuesday night game, but like, I don't think we've gotten to a point where like no one's going to not play 16 games. Well, they have a players union. I mean, that's, that's a difference, right? <laughs> but, but almost even – I mean, I, I obviously, obviously, yes, there's a players' union, but, like, even different than the way that the NBA like, – like, they've – they are the only successful league to bury their head in the sand and – have the season work because like, like like putting yourself in a bubble it, it innately acknowledges that like all right this is different and we have to operate here they made no real protocols they made no real like adjustments there, there is no standard like punish we're still finding out about people getting punished and fined for all of these violations like it's still very seat of their pants but i'm wondering like how much of it is luck versus how much of it is calculated i think it's oh sorry go no, I was just saying it's the power of the – Y'all interrupting each other all, all sorts of night. And it's it's somewhat the nature of the NFL too, right? Like in like in basketball, if it, it's probably not the greatest example, but like if the Lakers had gone into the bubble or whatever and they lost – I don't know, like AD or LeBron's probably not the best example, but they lose three of their other five starters and you're like, all right, they just don't have it. To where the nature of the NFL is – like there's been teams that have been injury riddled in normal years to the point where it's like, who the hell do they have on them? And it doesn't matter. It all just turns on. And so I think part of it's the nature of the sport and it helps being by far and away the most powerful and influential sports organization in America and probably the world. But I agree, Andrew, and it's hard to even like articulate it, but like as a viewer, Saturdays have not felt normal at all. Whereas if you can forget on Sundays, there's no fans in the stands. It's pretty much a full go as normal. Like you got eight games on red zone, four in the afternoon, and it's just kind of is what it is. I, I, just, I also think the NFL is the one sport where it's like, yeah, we don't give a shit. We can delay this as long as we have to to make sure we play 16 games and the playoffs. You're still going to watch the Super Bowl. Fox is still going to give us, you know, like, Six hundred million dollars to broadcast this game, no matter when it is. So fuck you. I mean, that, that's that's what it is. I think. And I, I think we've touched on this prior, but like, 
all of college football is like, it's like pageantry and it's tradition. And it's like, it is so much outside of just the game of college football. Like we miss our college towns as much, if not more than we miss, like actually the product and being in the stadium and, and all of that, as opposed to the NFL has really just come to the point where they're like, no, we make a TV product. Like, like we make, we just make the best television show there is. You're going to go and stand in a parking lot in fucking Buffalo and drink beer for three hours before the game. But like, we are not lying to you about there's any like culture or tradition about this. This is like Bud Light and asphalt and you are going to watch your favorite team play. Like that, that, and so like when that's all that you are providing as your product, it's easier to stick to that when like college football, it's like, yeah, sure, we can have the game on, but like you can't come to campus, you can't tailgate, you can't come to the town, you can't go to your favorite bar the night before. Like all of these things are, and I know obviously we have grown up in college football culture, but that's the whole thing. Like there is a college football culture. It doesn't feel like there is an NFL culture. It just feels like there is an NFL product. No, you're you're completely right. It's it's the most sterile, you know. Up- inoffensive product when you forget the fact that it's a blood sport, but it's just, <laughs> but it's just, it's boom. It's there. It's a team. It's the office, right? It's like you, we know on, well, on Sunday afternoons, but back when it was on TV, we know on Thursday night, you're going to park your butt in front of your TV at 8 PM. And you are going to watch this for however long we have it on. And there's nothing you are going to do about it. And they've just, and they've owned that. The NBA is not the same way. Baseball is definitely not the same way, nor is hockey. NFL is the only sport that can say that, and they just really leaned into it. If we got nuked, they'd still try to salvage the early window. Yeah. Someone someone tweeted, hold on. They were like, well, shit, this got me thinking. Did they try to finish that game in the fucking last Batman movie? <laughs> they definitely thought about moving into a nearby high school stadium, right? <laughs> If, if, someone, if someone shot off a nuke on a Saturday night, they'd be like, well, Buffalo's already out in San Francisco. Like, this could probably still happen. They don't have to fly. Well, actually, okay, we can close on this because I, they uh, Moon Crew did write a, a good piece on it. Um, but the one good thing that we actually did get from this bullshit college football year was the impromptu BYU Coastal Carolina game. Yeah, it was insane. It was I mean, I mean, seventy-two hours to plan, two undefeated teams, and and there was a there was a line in the article that that I really liked, and I'm I'm about to butcher it, but like the like allowing either of these teams into the playoff would ha- mean you have to acknowledge that they exist, and like not only do not only are these wins not legitimate, the programs don't exist to the committee, and like I I do think that that is very interesting on a year like this year when you look at like. A team like Georgia is never going to be ranked a, a seven and two, eight and two, six and two, whatever we end up finishing, is never going to be ranked behind BYU. And as a very large Georgia homer, like total like cockamamie bullshit. I mean, the um, yeah, the Georgia being where they are is a farce. I think Bruce Feldman said they're factoring in recruiting rankings. <laughs> but yeah, Coastal BYU was the game of the year, right? It kind of it kind of has to be. I can't think of anything else that, you know, was better than that. I was I I mean, I would try and respond here, but the lack of just simple inputs that I have for this year, I I, I could not could not tell. I don't think I don't think I've watched a start to finish non-Georgia game this year. I watched a good bit of BYU Coastal before um you know, Bama LSU, and also a little bit during it on my phone. Uh, but man, what a good for good for BYU for actually saying no. We will play anyone anywhere. Hey, equipment people, work eighteen hours straight to load up that bus and drive it to wherever they are in South Carolina. And Notre Dame. And how do you the only one? How do you pronounce their mascot? Chant- that was kind of fun. Chanticleers. No, I don't think I don't think it's Chant. Oh, it's Chanticleers, right? I think it's chant. It's yeah. It's either chant or chant. It it's bad. Whatever it is, it's so bad. The the fighting cocaine chicken, fighting chants. Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> I about to say they they have South Carolina in their own goddamn state. What are they doing to themselves? What are they do? Oh well, actually, speaking of South Carolina, they got a new head coach today. 
Uh, nepotism runs rampant amongst college football. Shane Beamer. Okay, so here's the thing. Shane Beamer may be a good coach. He may be terrible. But, I mean, he did. He has to know he did get his first job because of his last name. He knows that, right? Again, it's hard. He was the Georgia tight end coach since I've graduated college. <laughs> Like, like he was a position coach. He's been a position coach within the last four or five years. That's and he's now a head at an SEC head coach. And he's coming in at the perfect time in terms of like him normally not having like name credibility because like from the whole time, it was much like the Matt Lukire at Ole Miss where from the start, you're like, okay, this isn't going to work. And so like you knew the outcome of the Muschamp era at South Carolina really from the time he had his opening press conference to where now – even though it's like, is this guy qualified? Probably not. Do you know what's going to happen? No. To where it's like with Muschamp at that point, you're like, I know exactly how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And look how it turned out. Yep. Well, so here's here's my question with a program like South Carolina. And I think of, I guess, bringing it all together. I think of Mac Brown as an interesting example of this and, and had me thinking of prior Steve Spurrier. Are these the type of programs where like, if you can... And I think I think Mac Brown's overperforming expectations, but I, right now, but I think he'll end up leveling off as we look back on his tenure. But like, is the the quote unquote certain retread the move for a lot of these schools? Like, I know we've seen like the Les Miles at Kansas not work, but Kansas is especially bad, and Les Miles is especially unqualified to like bring a program back from irrelevance. But like, if you're comfortable saying like we want to make a bowl game is going out and getting like the proven name looking for his one last 10 year run or whatever, eight year run. Is that the the move for some of these type of well, schools? Number one, I think Les just took the Kansas job because he wanted to live near more farmland, which can't really blame the guy. Um, he had to get out of Bistro Byron's. They were, he was creeping out too many waitresses. From exactly. What I heard. Number, number two, the certain retread is the move. As long as you know, that's not just, who you are like South Carolina messed up when they just assumed the Spurrier years were going to be the new standard. Um, North Carolina probably know, and Matt probably knows, look, Matt's going to have that job for five, six years total. Right. And then hopefully make way after laying the infrastructure, make way for an actual guy that can keep it going for the next 10, 15, even up to 20 potentially. Yeah, I think that's the only strategy to it is is having somebody that's proven lay the groundwork. But I mean, the way that Spurrier left, he had no like Spurrier was that was a vanity project. He wanted to go play golf there. And so he quit in the middle of a three and nine season after Grayson Lambert torched him for the best game in in college football history from a quarterback. So like he had no interest of like, I'm going to bring in like my understudy and have them act as a head coach in waiting or whatever. But like that seems as if it if there is a formula to gaming some sort of consistent success in this dumb fucking sport that seems to be the only way if you are not just fertile recruiting territory or like national national he took a job that's 75 miles away from augusta national i mean (laughs) absolute king absolute king i guess we get a uh another masters in like four or five months so that's good which along those lines is like I saw Andy Staples make the point today. It's like, well, if you're Vanderbilt and you just know you don't give a shit about football, why not just try to find your David Cutcliffe? Now, granted, I would argue Vanderbilt probably much more difficult to find one than Duke what than Duke did, but like that's kind of what they have to expect, right? Because I mean, James Franklin is never happening again. That was an absurd absurdity what he was able to do there. That was what if they hire James Franklin to uh, James Franklin, who just got fired from Penn State. Back to Vandy, the return. Back, back to Vandy. Someone was talking about him to Texas, and it's like, man, t- talk about hiring another Tom Herman, man. Are, all right, so we are the Ethical College Football Podcast, so I do want to say this. Number one, I'm so glad James Franklin got the Vandy job and did what he did because Vandy has – like there have been what, like seven black head coaches in the SEC and Vandy's had three of them or something like that. And Vandy just hired James Franklin. When, I'm not sure what the market for James Franklin was before that. And then he went, had the best three-year run in school history, beat Georgia, <laughs> and then took the Penn State job. Shut up, man. Like 
That didn't like happen. Vandy actually saying like we don't care about optics. We're like we're gonna hire who we think is the best for us. I mean, this, they're on their second. They just fired their second straight black head coach, and they're on their third straight black AD. Like that's that's how pipelines work. And it seems like Vandy, being Vandy, is the only Power Five school willing to do it. Yeah, and and they, um, I mean, as I think everyone has seen. They are not coy either about like where they stand as a sports program. Like they they want to be a baseball. They don't school. have an so, department. Like, they don't have. Yeah, yeah, department. yeah. And, and so like and so like I I certainly do not want to poo poo their infrastructure, but it's like that is how bad the SEC is at all of this. Is like the school that and, and you have to know that when it is when it when it is can be used to their advantage, the SEC plucks all of. Uh, Vanderbilt's uh, promotional materials when they need to. Yeah, and it's it's. I was about to say you thought they didn't care about football before. At least they kind of halfway pretended it to be invested while Franklin was there because it was really the change. I forget the lady's name who's the AD there now, and I also forget the guy's name who preceded her. But like when that guy got hired, it was very much a shift of like, yeah, I don't know if we care about football. And uh, that's, I think that more than anything has kind of led to what, what you're seeing there now. Cause like there was a time where whoever it was while Franco was there was kind of halfway in. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to bowl games, you can sell, especially going to bowl games and beating halfway decent teams. I will not, I will not call that, that 2013 Georgia team decent. Um, But I mean, if you're, if you're beating people that you shouldn't beat and then, you were able to, because especially like what I have, what I never understood was how they had that little care in an athletic department where if you're in the Franklin era, like you're operating a football, basketball and baseball program that are like very relevant across the country. And so I, you won a national championship in baseball in what, 2016 or something, sometime in there. And so I, I just don't understand like the I don't know. I, well, here we are talking uh, several minutes on Vandy and why that they they don't have any sort of uh, financial investment. But I mean, I think their cards are relatively on I'm the table. Say Vandy. Look, Vandy had a very very good run for three years under James Franklin, and then they hired a very successful uh, conference champion defensive coordinator in Derek Mason. He also got to two bowl games there. Like, it's not a given he wouldn't be successful somewhere else. It's an impossible job. Yeah, that, that, you're right. V- Vandy can make it what we think South Carolina is. Vandy can do that once every four years. I fully believe they can if they just care. But they don't. So good for them. They're just vibing. Just vibing. And you know what, folks? That's all we can do these days. Uh, we can take three weeks to record between podcasts. We can uh, chastise the season as fake. We can get kicked out of houses that we uh, rightfully laid the claim to. Um, and we can move across the country. So we're just vibing here in 2020. We're just vibing. Property is not real. See you all next week. <laughs>